0: Too much information. Okay. Anyway. Okay, so um, we have a series going on called um, Rascals, Renegades, and Radicals. And this morning, we're going to talk about a radical. I guess you, you, you maybe could have said she was a rascal and a renegade, but she was for sure a radical. Um, Bill kicked this series off with Um, The story of Joseph, a mighty story. Um, Last week, Tommy talked about Jeremiah, another mighty man of God. And it's interesting to see that each one of these people, and you're going to see it by the time this series ends, each one of these people plays a, a major role in the furthering of the kingdom. And I think that what's relevant for us today is that we can all do that too. And... The person that I'm talking about today is called Rahab. Or James, what did you call her? Rahab. Okay, so anyway, I'm calling her Rahab. Um, And she was a prostitute. Um, She was known as a prostitute. She lived in the city of Jericho, and she ran an inn that was also a brothel, which was common in those days, that... Um, people had places where they could lodge, but another part of the business was um, the house of prostitution. You sort of have to think about her being able to do that in a time period where women weren't really businesswomen. And she was. She was a businesswoman. She was running a business. Um, so she was unusual. She had a big family. And she lived in a wicked city, a pagan culture. She, was not, uh, she wasn't a believer, I'm sure, for a long time. And she began to hear stories about what God was doing. And at this point, the Israelites have left the wilderness, and they're starting to claim the promised land. And she's finding out about that through her inn. And we see this story play out in Joshua 1 and 2. We see the preparation of Joshua. Moses anointed him to be the leader as he was leaving the earth. And God empowered him with instructions that were really clear. He said to him, every place upon which the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given to you, as I promised Moses. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. There's something very reassuring about knowing that God's with you. When you have a plan or you have a desire to do something and you have an assignment that you think is from God, if he's not with you, the result may not be so good. But he felt the presence of God in his life, and he knew. He was, he was wise. He'd been a faithful servant of God. And it says in one place that his will lined up with God's will. And when our, li- when our will lines up with God's will, then we're in the right order. And that's what he was. That's where he, that's where he lived. I think it's important to realize how detailed God was in his instructions. He was very specific. He said, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Meditate on the law day and night. Those were his instructions. And again, he said, be strong and courageous. He said it three times. So the implication being, this is not going to be easy. This is going to be hard. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have battles to fight. You're going to have men that you're going to have to continue to inspire. And you're going to need people to help you. And this is where our radical enters the scene. She was an unlikely suspect. She was from a large family. Um, I don't know what her family thought of what she did for a living. It doesn't say. But she cared about them, and we see that as the story plays out. So a definition of a radical is someone who affects the fundamental nature of something, profound and far-reaching results. So it's not a small thing to be a radical. It's a big thing. And it's going to change things. It's going to shake things up. It's going to change the culture. It's going to change history. And that's what we see she was able to do by the decision that she made. We all can do that. We all have that in our lives where it comes to us to do something for God. And then we decide are we doing that or are we going to take a safer route? It would have been easier for her, certainly, to have not done what she did. So let me just tell you a little bit about the story. Um, Joshua decides that to take the city of Jericho, he has to send in some spies. And he sends the spies to the inn. You know, that was where things, that's where the information was. That's where things were going on. That's where they got their news. We get our news on television 24 hours a day. They got their news by the stories that people told them. The way that people passed through the town and the way they stayed there and the way they talked about what was going on in the world. What was happening? And Rahab listened to the stories. These two spies came. And she said, we know about the parting of the Red Sea. We've heard it. We've heard that you've killed two Amorite kings. We know. And our hearts have melted. So it's been impactful. They've been, they've been starting to see the seeds of change there because of her. Because she's starting to change. So she says to them, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She acknowledges her faith in God. She has has moved from the story to action, to belief to action. She's, She's transitioned from just thinking about it, hearing about it, thinking about it, to taking action. When we take action, it changes things. If all we do is hear it and walk away, nothing's changed. We're still the same. But when we hear it, and we take action and we do something like Rahab did. We're doing something that isn't normal. It puts us in the radical category. It puts us over into this area that, that isn't easy to do. It wasn't easy for her. So she listens to the spies. They recognize that she knows about their God. She says it. I've been changed by faith. I believe in your Lord, the Lord that's above and the Lord that's below. I believe in that. So what do they think? They think they have an ally. And they're right. Well, living in a town like that for her, she would have been easily a target for the for the soldiers of Jericho, for the king of Jericho. She would have been someone that was a target for, for them to say, okay, did these guys come in here? He sends a, King of Jericho sends his, his soldiers there and, and they come in and they say, have you seen these men, these Israelites? We heard they came. They came in this inn. Well, by then she's hidden them on the top, on the roof, under the flax, the stalks of flax. She hides them there. And she says, well, they were here but they left. Not here anymore. I think they went out the gate. But if you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. That's her first step toward, she's gone to a place that she can't come back from very easily because now she's lied to the rulers of Jericho. She's lied to the king. She's lied to the soldiers. She's in cahoots with them. So she goes up to them and says, listen, I struck a deal. I made a deal with you when I hid you, and I want you to take care of me and my family. I believe in your God. I want to help you. I can see the writing on the wall. I know what's going to happen here. I know my city's going to be destroyed. And I'm throwing in with you guys, because I believe what you're saying to be true. That's her second big step, because now she's committing. And when you commit to something, it's very hard to walk it back. So she's done that. Well, they agree. And they say, if you hang a red cord in the window, when our soldiers come, we will protect you and anybody you put in the inn. And the famous story of of Jericho, which we all know the song. So they come. They surround the wall. It's a walled city, big, high, nine-foot walls going around this city. Said somewhere it was 640 acres. They walk around it once every day. And her people, her group, is all inside. And they're waiting. It's like a week of waiting. And they walk around the wall once a day. And on the seventh day, they walk around six times. And on the seventh time, God tells them to to blow those trumpets and shout. And they shout, and those walls come tumbling down. And everybody inside is spared in the inn because of Rahab and because of what she did and because of the fact that she stood out in a, in a position of faith and took action. It's a bold move. It puts her in a league that not very many people are in. It's very scary to do that. So Rahab went on to, her family's all spared, they come out of the inn, they see the destroyed city, and she marries Salmon. And one thing I read said Salmon was one of the spies. That's pretty convenient that she married one of the guys that she made the deal with. And they had Boaz, and um, he married Ruth, and they were the great-grandparents of Jesse, which is in the royal line of Jesus. So here we see how this plays out over a long period of time. Her action put her in a place where she got to participate in the lineage, the royal lineage of Christ. I'm sure she didn't know that at the time that was happening. I'm sure she had passed away by then. But we know it because we have the word. And we can read about her. So what do we learn from Rahab? God uses all people not just the super talented or the super gifted he uses everyone that's willing in faith to stand up for him and to grow his kingdom and to enhance it and to see it prosper he'll take all workers he isn't interested in your reputation he's not interested in your qualifications she was obviously didn't have probably very good reputation and she wasn't probably very qualified for the job she got. It didn't matter to God. He used her anyway. In Isaiah 49.1, it says, The Lord has called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He has named my name. Think about that. Rahab was shaped and formed in her mother's womb, and God knew who she was, and he knew what she was going to do. Just like he knows what all of us are going to do. He knows who we talk to. He knows who our friends are. He knows who our family is. He knows everything about you. He knows what you think about, what you don't think about. He knows it all. And he knew it from before you were born. That's powerful. Never think you aren't important to God. That's a lie. You are So another thing we learned from her is that we have a place in God's kingdom here on earth. Our gifts and our talents are never wasted by God. And if you think you don't have gifts and talents, ask God to show them to you because he will. Ask him to give you wisdom because he will. Ask for it. He loves those prayers. Because that means that you have more you want to do for him. And he needs all the workers that he can find right here. He doesn't look at how much money we have or how much money we don't have. He doesn't look at your position in your business. He doesn't look at your position in your community. If he had, would he have used Rahab? Probably not. He doesn't look at the last grade you got on the last test or the last assignment. He doesn't look at whether or not you got into the top three schools you wanted to go to. He's not interested too much in that, although he's interested if you're interested and he cares about you. But it doesn't mean you can't be used for him because of any of those things. Your freedom will be determined by whether you allow what God says about you to matter more than what anyone else thinks or says. If Rahab would have waited for everybody to think she was wonderful and everybody to put her on a poster of citizen of the year, she wouldn't have been able to do the work that she did. So remember, your freedom, your freedom is hinged on whether you allow what God says about you to matter more than what anybody else says or thinks. We tend to listen to all the chatter What people think, what people say. We mull it over, we go over it. We want people to like us. We want people to say nice things about us. But what about what God says about you? What God saw in Rahab, I don't know if anyone else has seen that. You have to wonder. You have to think that probably they didn't. She ran a brothel. So we have choices, and we have places where we decide... How we're going to proceed. Tony told us a story this morning about why he came here. He had a decision point. He had a spot where he said, I want to do this. I, want, I think I want to go to that church, even though there's weird people and it's in a weird place. I think I want to go there. And when he got there, he must have seen something about the faith of the people in that place that he kept coming. Because he's been coming for a while now. So, you know, these decisions are risky and they're costly. If Rahab would have been found out to be hiding those spies on her roof and planning the safety of her family, she would have faced certain death. No question about it. This is a pagan city. This is a city that's in rebellion toward God. This is a city that's worshiping idols. This is not a place that was going to grant mercy or grace to our Rahab. In spite of that, she went forward. She had to be strong and courageous to face that. I think about the inside of the inn, the week that they spent there, those six days that they lived in there. I don't know about you, but I've been on family vacations where after a week, there are certain things that sort of come out that can have a little bit of discord, like a little challenge like here and there. Somebody doesn't like something. Somebody gets a little irritated with somebody else. It happens. Now, she's got her whole family in there. And as far as we know, they weren't believers. They're they're being led by her. Now, they've been told that this city's coming down. So they went to that inn. But there had to be grumblers, there had to be complainers, there had to be doubters, there had to be people who, who were listening to her and doing what she said, but maybe after a week, they're starting to wonder. She had to be so resolute in what she knew to be true and place so much confidence in God that he was going to protect her. That those men who said, we will come for you when it's safe, we'll bring you out. She had to keep that at the forefront of her mind, no matter what was said, no matter how many people were saying, you know, I think I'd like to leave now. I've been in here for five days and nothing's happening. And we don't know if she knew the whole plan. Maybe she did. Maybe she said, no, we've got to wait. We're going to wait seven days. We don't know that. But I can imagine that there had to be people confronting her and kind of on her case about let's get out of here. Enough's enough. You know, what if, what if those guys that you made the deal with don't keep their, their word? She had to be strong, and God made her strong for the task that she had. She was very loyal to her family, and it, was, it is very likely that her whole family was not only spared, it was saved. Think about that. Think about being the person in your family that leads people to God, that you were the lone voice, and maybe some of you have been the lone voice in your families. Maybe you've been the only one for a long time that got saved. It's hard, because it's not the way the culture of that family works. It's not what they think about serving, loving, putting God first in your life and living by faith. It doesn't work like that. But I like to think about them emerging from the inn and seeing the whole town is labeled. They set fire to the whole town. It all went down. And they couldn't have witnessed that and walked away thinking, well, we were really lucky. They had to believe that they were in the hands of a powerful God that had protected them, spared them, for a reason, for a really important reason, because God cares about every single person that believes in him, and he takes care of all of us because of that. So what would any of us have thought about Rahab today? Do we judge because of lifestyle choices? Do we judge because of the way someone dresses, the way they wear their hair, Their tattoos, who they hang around with, that's suspect. Look at who they're hanging around with. I don't know if we can trust those people. We all do this. We all judge people. We do it all the time, and we have to really say to ourselves, stop it. We don't know. We don't know what's all going on in there, and grant people mercy and grace. God doesn't care about any of that. He doesn't really care about those things that we get all ramped up about. That's not what he looks at. He looks at our heart. He looks at our faith. And he looks at what you can do for the kingdom. In Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the Giants of Faith or the Hall of Faith, we read this. We find our little girl, Rahab. Prompted by faith, Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed along with those who refused to believe and obey because she had received the spies in peace. She's included in verse 31 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, she's included in what we call the hall of faith, the hall of fame really of believers. She was put there and I want you to be sure and catch that she was put there with the label, the prostitute. I read that and thought, you know, I might have tried to dress her up a little bit. I tried, maybe I wouldn't say she was a prostitute. You know, it's like she okay—that was her other life, and now she moved on from that. So why do we have to talk about that? Why would we put that there? And then I realized that's what God does. He's true to himself. It's what she was, and you know what else? There's hope for everybody. If a prostitute could have been used to bring those people out of that city and live to tell the tale because of their faith, I think God wants us to know that. He didn't say wife of Solomon. He said Rahab the prostitute. Because it was important that she still be identified that way. Even though her life wasn't, she wasn't living that anymore. So sometimes we think about the legacy, or I think about that. I think about, you know, what kind of legacy are we leaving? What kind of legacy did Rahab leave? Well, you don't have to look too far to figure out as you go down that she was used mightily for God. She's in the royal lineage. She wasn't kept out because she had a lifestyle that in her prior life wasn't okay. She wasn't disqualified because of that, and neither are any of you. Um, I love this old Jewish proverb A society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. It's not all about this, it's not all about what we do right here, right now. It's about our legacy, it's about our children's children's children. And on and on it goes. We're building a future here with our families. And that's what Rahab did. You know, people of the Bible did things out of their great love for God. They didn't see the outcomes. Often they didn't see those people wandering around in the wilderness. Some of them died there. They didn't get out of there. So we're similar I was blessed with Christian grandparents on both sides, but I knew my grandparents on my mother's side pretty well. I was the youngest of all the grandchildren, and there was quite a few years before most of them and then me. But I used to watch them. If I spent the night, they would get down on their knees in front of the fire in their rock, on their rockers, and they would pray. And they prayed for almost everybody I could possibly think of. Every name. God bless. God bless. God bless. God And, you know, I was five or something and thinking, how long are they going on here? But I was included in that group. Everybody I could think of, and some I didn't have any idea who they were praying for, was named by name. And, you know, it made a difference in my life. I brought I brought this Bible this morning because it's my grandparents' Bible. It's one of them. I have a few. This Bible was given to my grandparents the year they got married, in 1902. And there's an inscription. Their names were Joe and Clara. I'd just like to speak their names right here. Their names were Joe and Clara. And it was given to them on Christmas Day of 1902. I mean, it's pretty special that this is in my hand, in front of you, today. I love that. So, one other thing that I remember doing when my kids were little, I heard Dr. Dobson on Focus on the Family one day in the car say, you know, pray for your children's spouses. Well, my children were little. My son was a little bit bigger, but my daughter was really little. And I thought, pray for their spouses. So they're like three years old somewhere or five years old somewhere, and I'm supposed to be praying for them? And he said, I'm praying for mine every day. So I thought, okay. So I started praying for my kids and who they were going to marry, and I started praying for those people. That they would grow in their faith in God and they'd be protected and they'd be brought up loving Jesus. And that my kids would find them and marry them and, and they did. And today, they're raising little, little Christians. Three of whom go to this church. They're back there. So, I say pray. Pray for your children's children's children and on and on. That they know who their savior is. And they know, like Rahab, who made such a huge difference in her family. Such a huge impact for God's kingdom. You know, I think about the fact that she heard stories. She sat in her inn. She worked in her inn. She heard these stories. People came. They told stories. And she listened. We hear stories all the time. And we listen. But maybe we don't quite move to belief. And maybe we fall short of action. She didn't do that. She believed. And it made all the difference. I think about Kim Ingen, and I talked about her at the beach today because she was sitting there. But Kim Ingen was building her house. And she's told this story that she had had coal as her construction guy and he was telling her stories about jesus and she was not a believer and behind him came john the tile man and he told stories about jesus and she listened and she's a woman of faith today because of those stories you have a powerful witness tell your stories and let's all become radicals for god So now we're going to go, we're going to move on to the table. We have two tables, Um, and I'm going to pray over this for a second, but I just want you to know I'm supposed to say this. We are a very forward-thinking church. We have non-gluten bread over here on both sides. There's there's gluten-free. There's a little sign. If you're in that category, pick that bread out. So, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for people of the Bible that were recorded, that we can learn from, that we can see what mighty work you're doing in their lives that you've, you've accomplished for all of us to know about, to have models in front to put up as our heroes. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of your table. It's one of those things that Todd said, what do we do here? Well, we do this. And why do we do it? We do it because you died for us, and we want to remember you, and we want to celebrate the privilege that we get to come to your table. I just pray for everyone here, and thank you that we can be in a place where we can talk about you freely. In your name we pray. Amen.